Um, hi, Marina. Hi. Oh my God. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. It has been. We've been waiting to do this one for a while. You've got your notebook. We are so ready to go. Got my notebooks. Got my notes. Got your I'm notes. Ready. I got my. I've got my pentagonal hat. The occasion. Yes. It's metaphorical. It's improv. <laughs> pentagonal hat. And I got a clavicle too. Oh. You know. You are so ready. <laughs> Is it history? Is it fiction? Is it somewhere in between? What's the real story behind the movie you think you know? This is real fiction. Other Boleyn Girl. This is one of your favorite movies? One of your classics. One of my classics, yeah. I don't know if it's like one of my favorites, like, right. but it's definitely one of the, in the Marina library repertoire, uh-huh. it's definitely in there. I like... I had a deep fascination with this movie in middle school. So it came out in like 2008 and it was like a very, it was like racy periodical drama, which like, love. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember um, when I got to high school, I would go and get the motion picture book. I think it's like based off of a book, the movie, or somehow there's a book. Yeah, it's based on a novel. Re-released, like, oh. the, you know, the, co- the movie uh, like cover. cover art, basically. And I would check that out, like, every other week from the school library and, like, oh. read a couple of chapters and be like, oh, so racy. For some reason, I saw this in theaters. And I don't really know why. Because I was young. Yeah, exactly. I was young. Christ. <laughs> I was, like, 13. I specifically remember how young I was. Because they say she no longer bleeds. Oh, yes. And my friend and I started giggling madly. So that tells me exactly how young I was, is that that was really funny. (laughs) It's like a dark room of like six dudes wearing tiny hats. (laughs) Because the underrated actor in this movie is the collection of tiny hats. Like we said, it is based on this novel by Philippa Gregory. The novel was very popular, movie not so much. The movie takes... Some liberties that the book does not, but I would say the book is even like crazier than the movie. So that in some ways they actually just like kind of tried to restrain it, and other ways they just like made up their own shit. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I can see why anyone who like invests in Tudor media things might not actually have any idea what the story is because every version is like quite different. Quite different. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And another interesting thing I discovered while researching this is how little. We actually knew. Because isn't that insane? Because they're such famous characters or the story is so well known. I kind of expected a lot more of this to be like, there must be a very clear historical record, but there's a lot where we just don't know. That we don't. One of the first things we hear in this movie, Mary's getting ready for her wedding and Anne comes in. Look at you. Younger than me. More beautiful than me. Married before me. I'm eclipsed. I'm the other Belinda. Hardly. Um, we don't even know who's the older sibling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't yeah. know. We're not sure. <laughs> We're just like, how do we just not know these? Like, these are such famous people. We I do know. not know. We're I not know. sure. It seems actually more likely that Mary is the older one. Really? What no, it, but there's yeah. so, well, oh, I guess you're right. This movie is like made for the second child. Mm. Like, this movie is like the second child fantasy of like, is your older sister hotter smarter and like funnier than you don't worry don't worry about it (laughs) a kid will just see you from across the room and a a fantasy that i fully engaged in (laughs) fully was like this movie speaks to me yeah like now i watch it as an older person like this is second child porn (laughs) that's what this movie is
it's it's wonderful that you bring this up because I think the order of the sibling and just also the characterization really matters because, okay, the entire first act of this movie, it is the king coming to visit the Bolins. They go on a hunting trip. He goes with Anne because they're trying to send Anne out to impress him. Anne, go to bed. Get a good night's rest. Tomorrow there's the hunt. You must excel at that. Everything depends upon it. She gets him injured and then... She done goofs. She yes. done goofs. The family immediately says, like, let's send in Mary. Even yeah. though she's married, let's send her in. And it works. He's charmed by her. He brings her to court. And that kicks off all the... Kicks off all So this was, I think, the biggest surprise to me. Because oftentimes there's, like, a scene that they add or a couple of things that they add, whatever. This entire first act is, like, completely made up. That means... The king never visited the Bolins. This hunting accident didn't happen. This isn't how he met the Bolins. And he he met Mary first. It wasn't a matter of, like, him meeting Anne and then moving on to Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he meets Mary first anyway. So let me just go into, like, how the Bolins got involved. Because I think they added this whole situation to give you a more dramatic way of getting the Bolins involved. And then also to set up the rivalry. So Mary. In the movie, they portray her as this kind of very shy, um, gentle. She's like the blushing virgin. Yeah, she got the the huge clavicle. Oh, yeah. Before meeting Henry, Mary had actually gone to France um, and was in the court of Henry's sister, Mary, who was actually married to the uh, French king at the time. Uh Um, Once that king had passed away, the next French king, Francois I, took the throne, and Mary and him actually had a very dramatic affair. (gasps) Yes. All the way before this thing with Henry happened. with other kings? Yes, yes. Mary! Mary. This is worth noting because obviously this is really different from what we see in the movie. And then Francois, there were a lot of rumors about them. Francois was pretty crass when talking about her later. He referred to her as like his mare or his steed. Buy me dinner first. Rena's like, I'm I'm on board. (laughs) Um, So Mary ends up actually kicked out of France because of this and she's leaving in disgrace. So it's not also the same situation where her family is like, oh, you're courting the king and you're going to get titles. It's like, no, this was a very disgraceful like staying on the family. She comes back to England. They managed, her father manages to find her a place in the English court despite this. Um, And that's also another thing. In this movie, we see the father and the uncle are doing most of the scheming. Actually, the uncle sort of leads it and the father goes along with it. Yeah. Obviously, I've given it some thought and wondered which Howard girl I can place under his nose. You imagine the riches and influence that would give us if we could help the king with this delicate matter. What about Anne? I realize as a Berlin she's not officially a Howard, but as your sister's daughter? There's not really a lot of evidence the uncle's involved at all, oh. um, which I thought was interesting because I'm not really sure why add another character. Like, I think because they like wanted to make Mark Rylance like, somewhat sympathetic. Mm. The timeline here gets a little fuzzy again, um, but it seems that when Mary's in court, she starts her affair and then in about, like, 1519 with the king, um, but gets married to William Carey in 1520. So she gets married after, in real life. It seems to be. Okay. Yeah. in the movie, there's, like, that, you know. Right. And I think part of that, you know, uh, again, it's not entirely clear, but it seems to be okay because being a consort to the king doesn't have that much social stigma attached to it because it will get you a certain amount of, like, rewards and titles. And like we said, William Carey is going, Benedict Cumberbatch in the movie, is going to be rewarded. Well, you must put that out of your mind. From now on, your future is a court. William, please. Don't you understand what this means? They'll separate us. Put me in different accommodation where the king can always find me. Happily, your husband understands the value of such an opportunity. 
for sure. So I think that to a certain extent, it didn't like really stain her prospects as much as it might have, you know. I will say like, and the movie too goes back and forth on this because there's like a, whatever, there's like the first scene where they're like, Mary's going to become the consort and they're like, this is good for the family. It's what you have to do. But then there's earlier when they're basically going to Anne being like, we're going to try and set this whole thing to happen. She's like, so like my reputation will be ruined and like, I'll be like a ruined woman. To be mistress of the King of England is by no means to diminish yourself. And after he's finished with me, my reputation and prospects will be ruined. On the contrary, under such circumstances, when the time came to find you a husband, it would be a Marquis or a Duke at least. And I was like, I don't think that that's actually true. True. So, and I, as soon as she says that, like, my prospects will be ruined, yeah, yeah, the yeah. uncle basically just says, no, they won't. And then she's sold. Like, yeah. they immediately <laughs> reverse course, and I'm not sure what the movie was saying. So it. I don't um, so anyway, Mary begins her affair. They, the Bolins do get rewarded. So her husband, William, he gets land and titles from the king. Um, Thomas Bolin, her dad, uh, becomes the Earl of Wiltshire. And her brother gets appointed to the royal privy chamber. Yeah. So we do see this in the movie. I'm to become an earl, your brother a viscount. In addition, we have received a number of new grants and estates, so our debts are paid. And there's more. George, the king will arrange a match between you and Jane Parker. So next thing that happens in Mary's life that I need to point out because it is not in the movie at all, William Carey, um, young Cumberbatch, dies, and they never mention that in the film. In real life, he dies of sickness. He dies of something called the sweating sickness, which is pleasant. But I think there was a deleted scene that just never made it in. Maybe. But then there's not a proper explanation of where he goes. After a certain point, he disappears from the movie. He, d- he disappears and then, from the movie. And Mary obviously will get proposed to at the end by Eddie Redmayne. So, like, supposedly she is now available. We just, yeah. like, do not get the clear yeah, yeah, signal yeah. about this. But what had really happened was that he, he died of sickness. Um, and <laughs> everything was sort of quiet for Mary until 1534 when she eventually falls in love with Eddie Redmayne's character, William Stafford. They have a runaway marriage. This was also a big deal because he is of lower status than she is. Right. Right, right, right. Um, So she really did marry for love. Her family was furious. Her father cuts off her allowance. Her sister, at this point, was the queen, um, banishes her. Um, So she gets pretty much ostracized from her family, but she goes off into the countryside with the love of her life. To the country. Biggest insult in this movie is then they're like, didn't you want to go live? In, in the, the country. country. <laughs> but ironically, she is like the only one that survives out of this entire mess. Yeah. Because she is off in the country. At some point, interestingly, we're going to talk about Cromwell later. But at some point, yeah. interestingly, she actually asked Cromwell for help in appealing to her family because he was like the only go-between and they oh, wouldn't talk to her at all. Oh. So also he was sort of involved. played by Mike Rylance in Wolf in Hall. In Wolf Hall. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Mark Rylance. Doing his thing. Doing his thing. Um, she has a great quote that um, about her marriage. And about him being lower status, she said, quote, I would rather beg my bread with him than to be the greatest queen in Christendom. And I believe verily he would not forsake me to be a king, which is a swipe at Anne at this moment. And basically being like, I love him. I don't care about his status. Yeah, burn. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, they go off into rustic retirement in Essex and... They survive the madness. Um, now we're going to move on to Anne. I'm going to run through quick what happens to Anne, but we pretty much know the gist. And then we're going to go into um, some of the themes in this movie and then the aftermath. So Anne, as we know, um, doesn't fare so well. No. The way that she starts out, actually, is she was sent to France early on, not as a punishment, 
as it is shown in the movie. They right. send her after she secretly marries Henry Percy. You will be sent to France and stay there until you've learned your lesson. What? No! You will be sent to join the court of the French Queen and stay there until your father has forgiven you. In real life, she was actually sent for, like, social education and right. to prepare herself to, like, be better equipped in the courts and to charm everyone and be she would be bilingual and all these sorts of things. She was there for a long time, too, about nine years instead of a few months, as we see in the movie. Right. Um, Anne returns to England at the end of 1521. At this point, her the um, affair with Mary is ending. She does try to secretly marry Henry Percy... Um, but Cardinal Wolseley actually steps in and stops her, not her family. Oh. Um, I do love that scene, though, where she's like, we are married under God. Oh, yeah. And they're like, Whoa, and then she's like, and it's consummated. Yeah. But you cannot undo what has been done before God. And consummate, too. There have been improper intimacies. And everyone and just... And then it cuts to Mark Rylance just being like... I also, like, going back to when I was watching this in the theaters, I don't know if I had any idea what was going on. Because, like, hell if I knew what they were talking hell about. Hell if I know what consummating like, is. <laughs> like a child. Like, what? <laughs> I'm focusing on that weird bolero bib top that Nat Poe mm-hmm. is wearing. In and her scene. big necklace with a B on it. Oh, yeah, and her carry necklace. Goodbye. Her, like, carry power statement necklace. Goodbye. Like, that little B with the little B drops. <gasps> Absurd. Love. <laughs> Um, so she eventually, after this failed marriage, um, she comes to court around the same time. Um, it's unclear when she and Henry exactly begin their affair. Again, the timeline gets really fuzzy, but Henry does eventually move on to Anne. Right. I'm just going to give you the quick Clefton's version. He can't, uh, Henry can't get his marriage to Catherine annulled. So he separates from the Catholic Church, as is shown in the movie. Um, he also charges Cardinal Wolseley with treason, and he dies before trial. I just mentioned that because that's what kicks off Wolf Hall. Oh. Yeah, which they don't have in this movie. They don't have Cromwell pretty much at all. I think he has one line in the court. Um, But otherwise, they really don't touch on him to give you a sense of what's going on now. Yeah, exactly. Um, Toward the end of 1532, Henry and Anne marry in a secret service, and then they have another public wedding the year after. Um, And Anne is crowned queen. Between the years of 1532 and 1534, Parliament is passing all these laws that enact the English Reformation, um, at least initially, the break was political. This is not like a theological. There wasn't really another reason. It was pretty much down to his marriage and yeah. him trying to get a male heir. Yeah. Um, I think they portray it definitely as just like lust. But I think there is also just like he needs a male heir and he knows he's not going yeah. to get one with Catherine. Um, but then when even he does get a male heir technically from Mary, it's like Natalie Portman basically is like holding her proverbial vagina carrot over him over this entire Yes. I mean, this whole movie is silly and soapy, but, like, that was the silliest moment. So there's a scene (laughs) where Mary has just given birth. Just given birth. He's outside. Outside. With Anne. And so she has a son, and they're so excited. They say, King Anne's like, it's finally happened. You have a son. A boy. Your grace. A son. Son. He and then Natalie says something like, "Oh, I look forward to something." Like she yeah. pulls him back in. Very well, my lord. You may have hope. My one true love. So there's been all this like pent up lead up of like Anne flirting with the king and the king losing interest in Mary and Mary not being able to do anything because she's bedridden with his child. So we get to this like back and forth of like Mary screaming in childbirth. 
Anne and the king having this whole power play conversation. Never meet the child, never talk to the child, never love Yes, the she says, like, I can't love you if you're, like, also with my sister, talking to my sister. Which is a word, agreed, but also, like, <laughs> get fuck yourself, because your sister was here first. She was here first, and she just gave birth to and she just gave birth. <laughs> Okay, so, and he turns away, away. and walks away. <laughs> and then Mary's, like, just crying. Yeah. And you're like, this is... It's so silly. Well, it's like it's so Go silly because it's like it's it's obviously set up for the biggest drama. Drama. Um, but it is also again the moment of positioning him as just like after lust, and like Absolutely. that is yeah. the thing that is driving everything. And male heirs right. are not what's and important. Male heirs like not as. But they put him into this position, and then specifically make you see him pick. Natalie Borman over, over this male heir yeah, yeah. that he finally got because the one thing that like. He needs the basic stuff like George Washington has wooden teeth. This guy needs <laughs> everyone learns in school. Uh, George Washington has wooden teeth. Abraham Lincoln wears a top hat. George Washington has wooden teeth. Henry and we need the male heir. A lot of wives needed a male heir. Like those are like the three things that you. <laughs> and then you graduate. And get graduate, your, and, you're done. and you get that high school diploma, and, and you go to that Ivy League, at, and, and you're you like, look back. Yeah, this is what I know. And then you start a startup <laughs> uh, about like using sustainable coasters. Yeah. Trademark Marina DeMar, so don't take that. Don't take that. So one thing I want to mention, because you touched on it really briefly, is childbirth and what that was like. Childbirth. <laughs> okay. Sign me up. Okay, so here we go. Um, obviously, this is a huge... <laughs> Obviously, this is a huge part of the movie and the Anne Boleyn story because, huge. as we just mentioned, the entire thing is about getting a male heir, and he is repeatedly either he's getting daughters or repeatedly there is a stillborn or yeah. a miscarriage. <laughs> At the time in Tudor England, uh, childbirth was obviously incredibly risky. Unfortunately, one in three women would die in childbearing, right. um, which is horrific. Obviously, a big factor in this was your social status. So I'm going to talk about women of noble birth because that's what we see in the film. Um, and it's quite accurate to basically how the lying-in process worked. Women of noble birth, such as the queen or higher classes, they would close themselves off from the world. Um, and this was known as lying in or taking her chamber. Um, no men were allowed to the private room or rooms, which they also mentioned in the movie because they're like, now that she's lying in, the king can't see her. He's going to lose interest. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. The room would be closed off. Tapestries would be hung over the windows to block out as much light. What they show in the movie... Why do they make this room such a dungeon? Why does it have to be this dark? Um, George remarks how depressing the room is. I he shouldn't be in there, <laughs> but they have him in there. Get the fuck out! <laughs> but they have him in there at some point, and he says something like, "It's like a prison," or "This yeah, is so yeah. depressing." Um, part of that was because they thought that the light would damage the pregnant mother's eyes, but word. Um, only a single window would be left open to allow fresh air into the room, and a small amount of light. So, cunning to Henry, though, the number of stillborn children for him is still pretty unusual. I think the more depressing statistic I found was that Catherine, um, in total, Catherine was pregnant seven times. Wow. And she gave birth to one girl who survived Mary, and then everything else was a failed pregnancy or an early death. That's terrible. Um, which is just absolutely horrific. Some people actually believe that Henry may have had a condition that affected the yes, pregnancies. Yes, I do remember learning about that in school. Okay, yeah. But what was the condition? Well, it's there are a couple of theories. So some experts have attributed it to um, to syphilis because later in life he has various indications of mental illness that might be related to that. One researcher, Kyra Kramer, is one of the lead researchers that suggested that Henry's blood carried this rare 
antigen called Kel, a Kel antigen, and is a protein that triggers dangerous immune responses um, with sexual partners that didn't have the corresponding antigen. Hmm. Um, and so all of these women did not have, like, the corresponding antigen he needed. Yeah. And so basically the the fetus would run out of oxygen and then he would keep having stillborn children. Oh. That's her theory. Interesting. Um, she goes into it in detail in her book, Blood Will Tell, which I'll link to on the site. Um, but that seems – that's – she's even – um, tried to have him exhumed to test his DNA and right. see if that was what was going that on. Was because exciting. as dangerous as it was at the time, it's still very unusual. The amount of, yeah. Right. And one expert and did so note women that... too. Exactly. And that's what one expert noted, that like the fact that all the wives were suffering miscarriages indicates that Henry was the problem. Right. Um, but of course, in this time, as we see in the movie... It's all on the women's shoulders. Of course. Um, and, and they're blamed for the gender. And they're blamed for the gender. Which is like... I, it's word. astonishing. Word. But let's talk about the ending and the aftermath really quickly. So, as we know, Anne and Henry's romance doesn't last. Mm-hmm. Um, as early as December, the year after they get married, there are some documents that, ju- that suggest Henry was already looking for a way out of his marriage. Word. Super fast. Wait, wait, which, of course, the movie blames on Natalie Portman holding her vagina out. This is all, her, basically, it's all her fault. And and because it's trying to set up that right, like he had real love with Mary, whereas it was like this lust after Natalie Portman's Damn. character. Uh. They don't portray him in a good light. Like they do. He eventually, when he does finally have sex with her, it's rape. Like yeah. they and they do show the assault. Yeah. Um. So that is, I think, a turning point in the film when they go all in on making Anne the sympathetic hero. Right. Or a victim, I should say. I agree. Um, whereas up until that point, we've seen her as pretty much like the evil right. foe to marry. whatever. She's very ruthless. Um, I bring that up because Philippa Gregory, in her book, she also paints Anne this way as like very cruel and very ruthless. Um, which a lot of people sort of bristle at because it seems that while she was very ambitious and driven and she was very smart, it's not clear that she was like so cruel to her sister this way. Right. That seems to be kind of like a rather sexist characterization of, like, yeah. the ambitious woman. Yes. The film goes really hard on it up until the assault. And then afterwards, Anne is just, like, kind of on her own trying to survive. Two years later, five men are charged for sleeping with the queen, including her brother. And she's sent Word. to prison. Best part of the movie. <laughs> Best part of the movie is when they have that scene where she's like crying and he and she's like, Oof. he won't lay with me. And then and then Scar Joe's like, well, you can't sleep with another man. That would be treason. treason. And then she like looks at the brother. Stop it. And it's madness. No, don't you see? You're my only I can't listen anymore. It's monster. Mary! No, come, George! George, please. My life depends on it. Mary's response is to just literally peace and get on a horse and she doesn't go. Monstrous goodbye. Goodbye. Gets on her. I was like, yeah. That's what I would do in this crazy (laughs) time. And you're almost like this movie doesn't earn this scene. Oh, 10,000%. This is a horrific scene. 10,000%. You feel that it's horrific for both of them. So what the situation that really happened. So Philippa Gregory seems to have had a big role in popularizing the idea that they actually may have attempted incest, but historians generally agree that this didn't happen. Word. So it seems like this charge was just put on him, mostly to get him arrested. Right. There isn't really any indication that this happened. The book implies that they did try it, 
and they went through with it. And then Anne just had a miscarriage. It's implied. Yeah. The movie changes it, and then... Philippa, why? I know. Philippa. Um, We see them pull back from it, but conveniently, George's wife sees through the window and reports on them. It's one of those movie moments where it's like, okay, in the middle of the night, the wife happens to be here. Well, it's like, whatever. It's like the thing of like, Mm -hmm. they didn't go through with it, but they would be charged. But they would be. There was also some debate over whether, I saw a couple of people theorizing that George may have been gay. And I wasn't sure if the movie took a stance on it because we only seen one scene with him and his wife and her being like, why won't you lie with me? And he just walks out of that conversation. So I wasn't sure if that was also being implied. So yeah, the whole thing is to, very... Like, the Benedict Cumberbatch, like, loose threads. Nothing. Maybe that was what Andrew Garfield was supposed to play in this movie. What, his lover? Yeah. <laughs> Word. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get that version well, of the let's movie. let's go to fanfiction.net and write that right Here now. we go. So, obviously, Anne doesn't get saved. There was no, like, last minute attempt to save her. She pretty much knew what was going to happen to her. In the movie, yeah. they really drag it out. Um, well, in the mo- because they want to set up the thing of, like, Mary is still, even though she had a male heir but got rejected and was banished to the country and mm-hmm. all this stuff, mm-hmm. she's still a good woman. Yes. She's such a good woman that she's willing to vouch on behalf of Anne. Mm-hmm. Put her life at risk. It lets you have the sisters make up. Yes. Because it lets you have that conversation they have in the tower. And, and then we get to Anne share that. And beheaded in her they, the last moment that they share is like is looking at, each, looking other. at each other. Yes, um, which was an affecting scene and stood with me. I yeah. mean, just because watching Natalie Portman break down is always like so, so good. Yeah, she does yeah. it so well. She has a lot of ugly cry faces in this movie. There are like many, many times where it happens. Um, but that I will say that the execution scene is like well done. Yeah, it's unclear. So as far as the actual ending, Anne was reportedly. Or almost notoriously, I should say, weirdly chipper on the day of her execution. Um, She even made some jokes about how thin her neck was. She goes through the speech and everyone was sort of seemed to be relatively respectful to both Anne and George. He got a full speech out and it was recorded and it seemed like everyone was silent. Um, I only mention that because he's killed by pretty much a mob in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> they just drag him over to a stump and chop off his head. And chop off, yeah, yeah. Um, but Anne's death was, um, she faced it with some sort of like nihilistic dignity, I think. Mary doesn't seem to have actually taken Elizabeth. Um, but again, it's sort of unclear who's in charge of what and who's actually in whose care at this point. One weird thing I'm going to say that I looked up uh, for people's descendants. The Bolins have a lot of very famous descendants, which is interesting, that go through Mary Bolin's line. Oh. Did you know that one of her Mary Bolin's descendants was Winston Churchill? Word. <laughs> and Princess Diana. Word. <laughs> I did know that, like, Diana and Churchill were somehow related. So really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're, like, yeah, distant yeah. cousins. Yeah. Very, related very, to that line. Yeah. Um, so it brings us to my ending point. Why are we obsessed with the Tudors? There are a couple of articles and theories about it. One person talks about how the Tudors have come to represent a kind of English exceptionalism because the Tudors very specifically try to market it themselves that way um, and we just sort of bought into it, especially under Elizabeth I. Um, the like love affair with England and Elizabethan England is very you know tied up in like national pride and she is, as we mentioned, um, Anne's daughter. Right. Um, Another thing that I thought was pretty interesting was thinking of the Tudors almost as mythology at this point, because over centuries of retelling, their stories have become 
a little more flexible. They've become almost archetypal. Yeah. We see that especially in this movie where, like, it's – I think one of the articles described it as, like, Betty and Veronica in Tudor England because it's very much like this yeah. is this type and this type and everyone has their type. Um, you can kind of see – how there are these patterns from drama and tragedy and hubris, and it feels almost like mythological, um, Shakespearean almost. And I think that might be why we're also obsessed with the Tudors. Another thing, it just goes back to a lot of the gaps in knowledge we have. So it's right. very ripe for historical fiction. Right, well, it's just like Shakespeare, how so many people are able to invent things about his life and who he was because we know very little. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's just um, pe- people love that drama. Mm. And it's the most one of them. And I think the reason why we go back to things like Greek mythology and things like that, it's like it's all kind of reality TV of a prior time. And I think Henry VIII is one of those just more memorable stories. We all remember that he had a, I mean, for, first of all, like break with the church is like mm-hmm. such a big dramatic thing, period, that mm-hmm. also just ignited so much in our modern history. Um, I feel like it's just one of those, like, Henry VIII is just one of those pinnacle lore figures yes i agree with that and just ripe ripe to be made fun of right exactly Exactly. the tutors show is like the most perfect example of what i think of just taking what everyone's obsessed with about the tutors and just dialing it up to 11 right exactly you know what i mean it is meant to be a soap opera right it's intriguing we like it and especially because we can fill in so many gaps because we don't know so many things yeah i think that's why it's one of the reoccurring things that comes back yeah um, just final thoughts on, like, is there anything else about this movie or even just the tutors in general that, like, you woof. stuck with or woof? Well, I will say, <laughs> to give her, her her due historical credit and credit in the movie, um, the woman who plays Catherine of Aragon is so good. Mm-hmm. She has this mole that's, like, huge. Oh. Sorry, because I want to get her name right. Yes. On a torrent. She has this mole. She acts through that mole. I'm obsessed with her. She has so many... She's, like, so good at just playing that, like, what mm-hmm. a, what yes. a power. Yeah. One thing that the movie doesn't include, um, which is kind of a shame, is in her last scene, you see her saying that she's, like, not going down without a fight. Um, and then you hear that the king is having trouble annulling the marriage. They don't go into it probably just for the sake of simplification, but it's because at this point the Holy Roman Emperor is the cousin of Catherine. Yes. Well, So she is, like, actively working during this time to, like, screw with Henry. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately we don't get to have that in the movie. Ooh, one last thing we should talk about before we end. The costumes! Because that is your forte. Uh, we haven't talked Costumes. Uh, well, we costumes. talked about it a lot because hashtag MVP of this movie, Little Hats. But I will say... Little Hats I, everywhere. And it's so... And even when you look at the two girls, like... <laughs> Anne's <laughs> always in, like, rich fabrics. Deep green. Deep emeralds, like, um... Oh, yeah, they're color-coded. She's, like, oh, green. She's green, and Mary's, like, orange-pink. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, And she usually has curved hats. Oh, she's like all about curves. Yeah, yeah, curved yeah. hats, rounded hats. Yes. Whereas um, ScarJo is very orange and pink and whatever, and she has more of the pentagonal hat most often, and less jewelry. And has and does have a lot of jewelry. She's got the garish, <laughs> garish bee necklace. <laughs> Um, yes. which I'm sure is like not historically accurate. Right. I, then, I'm just going to Google Bolin B necklace. Bolin B necklace. How much is it on Etsy? Tell me. Can I have it? <laughs> oh, I see eBay. Etsy. Oh, is there a photo? I see an old ass photo of a woman. 
Is it in this photo? This is this is eBay for five dollars. Oh yeah. Wait, history of Anne Boleyn's bee necklace from Town and Country magazine. Town and Country knows oh, what I want. Oh my god! Look at this. Oh she had. Oh she it's had real. It. Oh it's, it's real. real. Okay. So <laughs> she's 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 just she's just a bad bitch. That's what she's we're just. <laughs> the B stands for bad bitch. The B stands for bad bitch. Because that's what she is. If you're having fun listening, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It really helps. You can also check out our website at realfictionpodcast.com, where we have a suggestion box if you have ideas for a future episode. And just for staying through our little plug, you get to hear what's up next. For our next episode, the bad movie summary is Imperialism gets stopped in its tracks thanks to love at first sight.